Chapter Twenty Five of Ramona. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ramona by Helen Hunt Jackson. Chapter Twenty Five. Effectually misled by the faithful Carmena, Felipe had begun his search for Alessandro by going direct to Monterey. He found few Indians in the place, and not one had ever heard Alessandro's name. Six miles from the town was a little settlement of them in hiding in the bottoms of the San Carlos River near the old mission. The Catholic priest advised him to search there. Sometimes, he said, fugitives of one sort and another took refuge in this settlement, lived there for a few months, then disappeared as noiselessly as they had come. Felipe searched there also, equally in vain. He questioned all the sailors in the port, all the shippers. No one had heard of an Indian shipping on board any vessel. In fact, a captain would have to be in straits before he would take an Indian in his crew. But this was an exceptionally good worker, this Indian. He could turn his hand to anything. He might have gone as ship's carpenter. That may be, they said. Nobody had ever heard of any such thing, however, and very much they all wondered what it was that made the handsome, sad Mexican gentleman so anxious to find this Indian. Felipe wasted weeks in Monterey. Long after he had ceased to hope, he lingered. He felt as if he would like to stay till every ship that had sailed out of Monterey in the last three years had returned. Whenever he heard of one coming into harbor, he hastened to the shore and closely watched the disembarking. His melancholy countenance, with its eager, searching look, became a familiar sight to everyone. Even the children knew that the pale gentleman was looking for someone he could not find. Women pitied him and gazed at him tenderly, wondering if a man could look like that for anything save the loss of a sweetheart. Felipe made no confidences. He simply asked, day after day, of every one he met, for an Indian named Alessandro Assis. Finally he shook himself free from the dreamy spell of the place, and turned his face southward again. He went by the route which the Franciscan fathers used to take, when the only road on the California coast was the one leading from mission to mission. Felipe had heard Father Salvierdera say that there were in the neighborhood of each of the old missions Indian villages or families still living. He thought it not improbable that from Alessandro's father's long connection with the San Luis Rey mission, Alessandro might be known to some of these Indians. He would leave no stone unturned, no Indian village unsearched, no Indian unquestioned. San Juan Bautista came first, then Soledad, San Antonio, San Miguel, San Luis Obispo, Santa Inez, and that brought him to Santa Barbara. He had spent two months on the journey. At each of these places he found Indians, miserable, half-starved creatures, most of them. Felipe's heart ached, and he was hot with shame at their condition. The ruins of the old mission buildings were sad to see, but the human ruins were sadder. Now Felipe understood why Father Salvierderra's heart had broken, and why his mother had been full of such fierce indignation against the heretic usurpers and despoilers of the estates which the Franciscans once held. 
He could not understand why the church had submitted without fighting to such indignities and robberies. At every one of the missions he heard harrowing tales of the sufferings of those fathers who had clung to their congregations to the last and died at their posts. At Soledad an old Indian weeping showed him the grave of Father Saria, who had died there of starvation. "'He gave us all he had to the last,' said the old man. "'He lay on a rawhide on the ground, as we did, and one morning before he had finished the Mass he fell forward at the altar and was dead. And when we put him in the grave his body was only bones and no flesh. He had gone so long without food to give it to us.' At all these missions Felipe asked in vain for Alessandro. They knew very little, these northern Indians, about those in the south, they said. It was seldom one from the southern tribes came northward. They did not understand each other's speech. The more Felipe inquired, and the longer he reflected, the more he doubted Alessandro's having ever gone to Monterey. At Santa Barbara he made a long stay. The brothers at the college welcomed him hospitably. They had heard from Father Salvierderra the sad story of Ramona, and were distressed with Felipe that no traces had been found of her. It grieved Father Salvierderra to the last, they said. He prayed for her daily, but said he could not get any certainty in his spirit of his prayers being heard. Only the day before he died he had said this to Father Francis, a young Brazilian monk to whom he was greatly attached. In Felipe's overwrought frame of mind this seemed to him a terrible omen, and he set out on his journey with a still heavier heart than before. He believed Ramona was dead, buried in some unknown, unconsecrated spot never to be found, yet he would not give up the search. As he journeyed southward he began to find persons who had known of Alessandro, and still more those who had known his father, old Pablo. But no one had heard anything of Alessandro's whereabouts since the driving out of his people from Temecula. There was no knowing where any of those Temecula people were now. They had scattered like a flock of ducks, one Indian said, like a flock of ducks after they are fired into. You'd never see all those ducks in any one place again. The Temecula people were here, there, and everywhere, all through San Diego County. There was one Temecula man at San Juan Capistrano, however. The Signor would better see him. He no doubt knew about Alessandro. He was living in a room in the old mission building. The priest had given it to him for taking care of the chapel and the priest's room, and a little rent besides. He was a hard man, the San Juan Capistrano priest. He would take the last dollar from a poor man. It was late at night when Felipe reached San Juan Capistrano, but he could not sleep till he had seen this man. Here was the first clue he had gained. He found the man with his wife and children in a large corner room opening on the inner court of the mission quadrangle. The room was dark and damp as a cellar, a fire smouldered in the enormous fireplace. A few skins and rags were piled near the hearth, and on these lay the woman evidently ill. The sunken tile floor was icy cold to the feet. The wind swept in at a dozen broken places in the corridor side of the wall. There was not an article of furniture. Heavens, thought Felipe as he entered, a priest of our church take rent for such a hole as this? 
There was no light in the place except the little which came from the fire. "'I am sorry I have no candles, Signor,' said the man as he came forward. "'My wife is sick, and we are very poor.' "'No matter,' said Felipe, his hand already at his purse. "'I only want to ask you a few questions. "'You are from Temecula, they tell me.' "'Yes, Signor,' the man replied in a dogged tone. "'No man of Temecula could yet hear the word without a pang. "'I was of Temecula.' "'I want to find one Alessandro Assis, who lived there. "'You knew him, I suppose,' said Felipe eagerly. "'At this moment a brand broke in the smouldering fire, "'and for one second a bright blaze shot up. "'Only for a second, then all was dark again. "'But the swift blaze had fallen on Felipe's face, "'and with a start which he could not control, "'but which Felipe did not see, "'the Indian had recognized him.' Ha ha! He thought to himself, Senor Felipe Moreno, you come to the wrong house asking for news of Alessandro Assis. It was Antonio, Antonio who had been at the Moreno sheep shearing, Antonio who knew even more than Carmena had known, for he knew what a marvel and miracle it seemed that the beautiful Senorita from the Moreno house should have loved Alessandro and wedded him and he knew that on the night she went away with him alessandro had lured out of the corral a beautiful horse for her to ride alessandro had told him all about it baba fiery splendid baba black as night with a white star in his forehead saints but it was a bold thing to do to steal such a horse as that with a star for a mark and no wonder that even now though near three years afterwards senor felipe was in search of him of course it could be only the horse he wanted. Ha! Much help he might get from Antonio. Yes, Signor, I knew him, he replied. Do you know where he is now? No, Signor. Do you know where he went from Temecula? No, Signor. A woman told me he went to Monterey. I have been there looking for him. I heard, too, he had gone to Monterey. Where did you see him last? In Temecula. Was he alone? Yes, Signor. Did you ever hear of his being married? No, Signor. Where are the greater part of the Temecula people now? Like this, Signor, with a bitter gesture pointing to his wife. Most of us are beggars, a few here, a few there. Some have gone to Capitan Grande, some way down into Lower California. Wearily, Felipe continued his bootless questioning. No suspicion that the man was deceiving him crossed his mind. At last, with a sigh, he said, I hoped to have found Alessandro by your means. I am greatly disappointed. I doubt not that, Signor Felipe Moreno, thought Antonio. I am sorry, Signor, he said. It smote his conscience when Felipe laid in his hand a generous gold piece and said, Here is a bit of money for you. I am sorry to see you so poorly off. The thanks which he spoke sounded hesitating and gruff, so remorseful did he feel. Signor Felipe had always been kind to them. How well they had fared always in his house. It was a shame to lie to him. Yet the first duty was to Alessandro. It could not be avoided and thus a second time help drifted away from Ramona. 
At Temecula, from Mrs. Hartzell, Felipe got the first true intelligence of Alessandro's movements. But at first it only confirmed his worst forebodings. Alessandro had been at Mrs. Hartzell's house. He had been alone and on foot. He was going to walk all the way to San Pasquale, where he had the promise of work. How sure the kindly woman was that she was telling the exact truth! After long ransacking of her memory and comparing of events, she fixed the time so nearly to the true date that it was to Felipe's mind a terrible corroboration of his fears. It was, he thought, about a week after Ramona's flight from home that Alessandro had appeared thus, alone, on foot, at Mrs. Hartzell's. In great destitution, she said, and she had lent him money on the expectation of selling his violin. But they had never sold it. There it was yet. And that Alessandro was dead, she had no more doubt than that she herself was alive. For else he would have come back to pay her what he owed. The honestest fellow that ever lived was Alessandro. Did not the Signor Moreno think so? Had he not found him so always? There were not many such Indians as Alessandro and his father. If there had been, it would have been better for their people. If they'd all been like Alessandro, I tell you, it would have taken more than any San Diego sheriff to have put them out of their homes here. But what could they do to help themselves, Mrs. Hartzell asked Felipe. The law was against them. We can't any of us go against that. I myself have lost half my estate in the same way. Well, at any rate, they wouldn't have gone without fighting, she said. If Alessandro had been here, they all said. Felipe asked to see the violin. But that is not Alessandro's, he exclaimed. I have seen his. No, she said. Did I say it was his? It was his father's. One of the Indians brought it in here to hide it with us at the time they were driven out. It is very old, they say, and worth a great deal of money if you could find the right man to buy it. But he has not come along yet. He will, though. I am not a bit afraid but that we'll get our money back on it. If Alessandro was alive, he'd have been here long before this. Finding Mrs. Hartzell thus friendly, Felipe suddenly decided to tell her the whole story. Surprise and incredulity almost overpowered her at first. She sat buried in thought for some minutes. Then she sprang to her feet and cried, "'If he's got that girl with him, he's hiding somewhere. There's nothing like an Indian to hide. And if he is hiding, every other Indian knows it, and you just waste your breath asking any questions of any of them. They will die before they will tell you one thing. They are as secret as the grave.' and they, every one of them, worshipped Alessandro. You see, they thought he would be over them after Pablo, and they were all proud of him because he could read and write, and knew more than most of them. If I were in your place, she continued, I would not give it up yet. I should go to San Pasquale. Now it might just be that she was along with him that night he stopped here, hid somewhere, while he came in to get the money. I know I urged him to stay all night, and he said he could not do it. I don't know, though, where he could possibly have left her while he came here. Never in all her life had Mrs. Hartzell been so puzzled and so astonished as now, but her sympathy and her confident belief that Alessandro might yet be found gave unspeakable cheer to Felipe. "'If I find them, I shall take them home with me, Mrs. Hartzell,' he said as he rode away." and we will come by this road and stop to see you. 
and the very speaking of the words cheered him all the way to San Pasquale. But before he had been in San Pasquale an hour he was plunged into a perplexity and disappointment deeper than he had yet felt. He found the village in disorder, the fields neglected, many houses deserted, the remainder of the people preparing to move away. In the house of Isidro, Alessandro's kinsman, was living a white family, the family of a man who had preempted the greater part of the land on which the village stood. Isidro, profiting by Alessandro's example when he found that there was no help, that the American had his papers from the land office in all due form certifying that the land was his, had given the man the option of paying for the house or having it burned down. The man had bought the house, and it was only the week before Felipe arrived that Isidro had set off with all his goods and chattels for Mesa Grande. He might possibly have told the Signor more, the people said, than any one now in the village could. But even Isidro did not know where Alessandro intended to settle. He told no one. He went to the north. That was all they knew. To the north? That north which Felipe thought he had thoroughly searched? He sighed at the word. The Signor could, if he liked, see the house in which Alessandro had lived. There it was, on the south side of the valley, just in the edge of the foothills. Some Americans lived in it now. Such a good ranch Alessandro had, the best wheat in the valley. The American had paid Alessandro something for it, they did not know how much. But Alessandro was very lucky to get anything. If only they had listened to him. He was always telling them this would come. Now it was too late for most of them to get anything for their farms. One man had taken the whole of the village lands, and he had bought Isidro's house because it was the best, and so they would not get anything. They were utterly disheartened, broken-spirited. In his sympathy for them, Felipe almost forgot his own distresses. "'Where are you going?' he asked of several. "'Who knows, Signor?' was their reply. "'Where can we go? There is no place.' When, in reply to his questions in regard to Alessandro's wife, Felipe heard her spoken of as Mahela, his perplexity deepened. Finally he asked if no one had ever heard the name Ramona. Never. What could it mean? Could it be possible that this was another Alessandro than the one of whom he was in search? Felipe bethought himself of a possible marriage record. Did they know where Alessandro had married this wife of his, of whom every word they spoke seemed both like and unlike Ramona? Yes, it was in San Diego they had been married, by Father Gaspara. Hoping against hope, the baffled Felipe rode on to San Diego, and here, as ill luck would have it, he found not Father Gaspara, who would at his first word have understood all, but a young Irish priest, who had only just come to be Father Gaspara's assistant. Father Gaspara was away in the mountains at Santa Isabel. But the young assistant would do equally well to examine the records. He was courteous and kind, brought out the tattered old book, and, looking over his shoulder, his breath coming fast with excitement and fear, there Felipe read, in Father Gaspara's hasty and blotted characters, the fatal entry of the names Alessandro Assis and Mahela Fe. Heartsick, Felipe went away. 
most certainly ramona would never have been married under any name but her own who then was this woman whom alessandro assis had married in less than ten days from the night on which ramona had left her home some indian woman for whom he felt compassion or to whom he was bound by previous ties and where in what lonely forever hidden spot was the grave of ramona now at last felipe felt sure that she was dead it was useless searching farther yet after he reached home his restless conjectures took one more turn and he sat down and wrote a letter to every priest between san diego and monterey asking if there were on his books a record of the marriage of one alessandro assis and ramona ortegna it was not impossible that there might be after all another alessandro assis the old fathers in baptizing their tens of thousands of indian converts were sore put to it to make out names enough. There might have been another Assis besides old Pablo, and of Alessandro's there were dozens everywhere. This last faint hope also failed. No record anywhere of Alessandro Assis except in Father Gaspara's book. As Felipe was riding out of San Pasquale, he had seen an Indian man and woman walking by the side of mules heavily laden. Two little children, too young or too feeble to walk, were so packed in among the bundles that their faces were the only part of them in sight. The woman was crying bitterly. More of these exiles. God help the poor creatures, thought Felipe, and he pulled out his purse and gave the woman a piece of gold. She looked up in as great astonishment as if the money had fallen from the skies. Thanks, thanks, senor, she exclaimed and the man coming up to felipe said also god reward you senor that is more money than i had in the world does the senor know of any place where i could get work felipe longed to say yes come to my estate there you shall have work in the olden time he would have done it without a second thought for both the man and the woman had good faces were young and strong but the payroll of the Moreno estate was even now too long for its dwindled fortunes. "'No, my man, I am sorry to say I do not,' he answered. "'I live a long way from here. Where were you thinking of going?' "'Somewhere in San Jacinto,' said the man. "'They say the Americans have not come in there much yet. I have a brother living there. Thanks, senor. May the saints reward you.' "'San Jacinto!' After Felipe returned home, the name haunted his thoughts. The grand mountain-top bearing that name he had known well in many a distant horizon. Juan Can, he said one day, are there many Indians in San Jacinto? The mountain, said Juan Can. Aye, I suppose the mountain, said Felipe. What else is there? The valley, too, replied Juan. The San Jacinto Valley is a fine, broad valley, though the river is not much to be counted on. It is mostly dry sand a good part of the year. But there is good grazing. There is one village of Indians I know in the valley. Some of the San Luis Rey Indians came from there. And up on the mountain is a big village. The wildest Indians in all the country live there. Oh, they are fierce, senor. The next morning Felipe set out for San Jacinto. Why had no one mentioned— why had he not himself known of these villages? Perhaps there were yet others he had not heard of. 
hope sprang in felipe's impressionable nature as easily as it died an hour a moment might see him both lifted up and cast down when he rode into the sleepy little village street of san bernardino and saw in the near horizon against the southern sky a superb mountain peak changing in the sunset lights from turquoise to ruby and ruby to turquoise again he said to himself she is there i have found her the sight of the mountain affected him as it had always affected aunt ri with an indefinable solemn sense of something revealed yet hidden san jacinto he said to a bystander pointing to it with his whip yes senor replied the man as he spoke a pair of black horses came whirling around the corner and he sprang to one side narrowly escaping being knocked down that tennessee fellow'll run over somebody yet with those black devils of his if he don't look out he muttered as he recovered his balance felipe glanced at the horses then driving his spurs deep into his horse's sides galloped after them baba by god he cried aloud in his excitement and forgetful of everything he urged his horse faster shouting as he rode stop that man stop that man with the black horses jos hearing his name called on all sides reined in benito and baba as soon as he could and looked around in bewilderment to see what had happened before he had time to ask any questions felipe had overtaken him and riding straight to baba's head had flung himself from his own horse and taken baba by the rein crying baba 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 knew his voice and began to whinny and plunge felipe was nearly unmanned for the second he forgot everything a crowd was gathering around them it had never been quite clear to the san bernardino mind that jos's title to benito and baba would bear looking into and it was no surprise therefore to some of the onlookers to hear felipe cry in a loud voice looking suspiciously at jos how did you get him jos was a wag and jos was never hurried the man did not live nor the occasion arrive which would quicken his constitutional drawl before even beginning his answer he crossed one leg over the other and took a long observant look at felipe then in a pleasant voice he said well senor i allow ye air a senor by your color it would take right smart of time to tell you how i come by that horse and by the other one too they ain't mine neither one of em jos's speech was as unintelligible to felipe as it had been to ramona jos saw it and chuckled maybe twould help you to understand me if i was to talk mexican he said and proceeded to repeat in tolerably good spanish the sum and substance of what he had just said adding they belong to an indian over on san jacinto at least the off one does the nigh one's his wife's he wouldn't ever call that one anything but hers it had been hers ever since she was a girl they said i never saw people think so much of horses as they did before jos had finished speaking felipe had bounded into the wagon throwing his horse's reins to a boy in the crowd and crying follow along with my horse will you i must speak to this man found found the saints be praised at last how should he tell this man fast enough how should he thank him enough 
Laying his hand on Joss's knee, he cried, I can't explain to you, I can't tell you. Bless you forever, forever. It must be the saints led you here. Oh, Lord, thought Joss, another one of them saint fellers. I allow not, Signor," he said, relapsing into Tennessean. It were Tom Wormsey led me. I was going to move his truck for him this afternoon. Take me home with you to your house," said Felipe, still trembling with excitement. We cannot talk here in the street. I want to hear all you can tell me about them. I have been searching for them all over California. Joss's face lighted up. This meant good fortune for that gentle, sweet Ramona, he was sure. I'll take you straight there, he said, but first I must stop at Tom's. He will be waiting for me. The crowd dispersed, disappointed, cheated out of their anticipated scene of an arrest for horse-stealing. Good for you, Tennessee, and fork over that black horse, Joss, echoed from the departing groups. Sensations were not so common in San Bernardino that they could afford to slight so notable an occasion as this. As Joss turned the corner into the street where he lived, he saw his mother coming at a rapid run towards them, her sunbonnet half off her head, her spectacles pushed up in her hair. "'Why, there's Mammy!' he exclaimed. "'Whatever has gone wrong now?' Before he finished speaking, she saw the black horses, and snatching her bonnet from her head, waved it wildly, crying, "'You, Joss! Joss, here, stop! I was a-comin' to hunt yer!' Breathlessly she continued talking, her words half lost in the sound of the wheels. Apparently she did not see the stranger sitting by Joss's side. "'Oh, Joss, there's the terriblest news come! That Injun Alessandro's got killed! Murdered!' "'Just murdered, I say. Tain't no less. There was an engine come down from their mountain with a letter to the agent.' "'Good God! Alessandro killed!' burst from Felipe's lips in a heart-rending voice. Joss looked bewilderedly from his mother to Felipe. The complication was almost beyond him. "'Oh, Lord!' he gasped, turning to Felipe. "'That's Mammy,' he said. "'She was real fond of both of them.' turning to his mother. "'This here's her brother,' he said. "'He just knowed me by Baba, here on the street. He's been hunting em everywhere.' Aunt Ree grasped the situation instantly. Wiping her streaming eyes, she sobbed out, "'Well, I'll allow after this there is such a thing as a providence, as they call it. Pears like there couldn't anything less bring you here just now. I know who yer be. You're her brother Felipe, ain't yer?' "'Many's the time she's told me about yer. "'Oh, Lord, how are we ever going to get to her? "'I allow she's dead. "'I allow she'd never live after seeing him shot down dead. "'He told me there couldn't nobody get up thar where they'd gone. "'No white folks, I mean. "'Oh, Lord, Lord!' "'Felipe stood paralyzed, horror-stricken. "'He turned in despair to Joss. "'Tell me in Spanish,' he said. "'I cannot understand.' As Joss gradually drew out the whole story from his mother's excited and incoherent speech, and translated it, Felipe groaned aloud, "'Too late! Too late!' He too felt, as Aunt Ree had, that Ramona never could have survived the shock of seeing her husband murdered. "'Too late! Too late!' he cried as he staggered into the house. 
"'She has surely died of the sight.' "'I allow she didn't die nother,' said Joss. "'Not so long as she had that young'un to look after.' "'You air right, Joss,' said Aunt Ri. "'I allow you air right. "'There couldn't nothing kill her short of wild beasts "'if she had their baby in her arms. "'She ain't dead, not if the baby is alive, I allow. "'That's some comfort.' "'Felipe sat with his face buried in his hands. "'Suddenly looking up, he said, "'How far is it?' Thirty miles and more into the valley where we was, said Joss, and the Lord knows how fur tis up on to the mounting where they was livin'. It's like goin' up the wall of a house goin' up San Jacinto Mounting, Daddy says. He was thar huntin' all summer with Alessandro. How strange, how incredible it seemed to hear Alessandro's name thus familiarly spoken, spoken by persons who had known him so recently, and who were grieving, grieving as friends to hear of his terrible death. Felipe felt as if he were in a trance. Rousing himself, he said, "'We must go. We must start at once. You will let me have the horses?' "'Well, I allow you've got more right to them and began Joss energetically, forgetting himself. Then, dropping Tennessean, he completed in Spanish his cordial assurances that the horses were at Felipe's command. "'Joss, he's got to take me,' cried Aunt Ree. "'I allow I ain't never going to set still here and that girl into such trouble. And if so be as she's really dead, there's the baby. He hadn't ought to go alone by hisself.' Felipe was thankful indeed for Aunt Ree's companionship, and expressed himself in phrases so warm that she was embarrassed. "'You tell him, Joss, I can't never get used to being called Signori. You tell him his sister allers calls me Aunt Ree, and I just wish he would. I allow me and him'll get along all right. Pears like I'd known him all my days, just as did with her after the first. I'm free to confess I take more to these Mexicans than I do to these low-down driven Yankees anyhow. A heap more. But I can't stand being signoried. You tell him, Joss. I suppose there's a word for aunt in Mexican, ain't there? Pears like there couldn't be no language without such a word. He'll know what it means. I'd go off with him a heap easier if he'd call me just plain Aunt Ree as I'm used her, or Miss Hire, either one in em. But Aunt Ree's the naturalist. Joss had some anxiety about his mother's memory of the way to San Jacinto. She laughed. "'Don't you be a mite uneasy,' she said. "'I bet you I'd go clean back to the States the way we come. "'I allow I've got every mile on it in my head. "'Plain's a turnpike. "'You nor your dad, nary one of yer couldn't begin to do it. "'But what are we going to do for getting up the mounting? "'That's another thing. "'That's more'n I do know.' "'But there'll be a way provided, Joss, sure as you're born. "'The Lord ain't gwine to get hisself hindered a helpin' Ramoni this time, I ain't a mite afeard.' "'Felipe could not have found a better ally. "'The comparative silence enforced between them by reason of lack of a common vehicle for their thoughts "'was on the whole less of a disadvantage than would have at first appeared. "'They understood each other well enough for practical purposes,' and their unity in aim and in affection for Ramona made a bond so strong it could not have been enhanced by words. It was past sundown when they left San Bernardino, but a full moon made the night as good as day for their journey. When it first shone out, Aunt Ree, pointing to it, said curtly, 
That's lucky. Yes, replied Felipe, who did not know either of the words she had spoken. It is good. It shows us the way. Thar now, say he can't understand English, thought Aunt Ri. Benito and Baba traveled as if they knew the errand on which they were hurrying. Good forty miles they had gone without flagging once, when Aunt Ri, pointing to a house on the right hand of the road, the only one they had seen for many miles, said, "'We'll have to sleep here. I don't know the road beyond this. I allow they're gone to bed, but they'll have to get up and take us in. They're used to doing it. They do considerable business keeping movers.' I know em. They're real friendly for the kind of people they air. They're druv to death. It can't be fur from their time to get up anyhow. They're up every morning of their lives long afore daylight of feedin' their stock and gettin' ready for the day's work. I used to hear em and see em when we was campin' here. The first I saw of it I thought somebody was sick in the house to get em up that time o' night. But afterwards we found out twa'n't nothin' but their regular way. When I told Dad, says I, Dad, did ever you hear such a thing as getting up before light to feed stock, and to feed theirselves, too? They'd their own breakfast all cleared away, and dishes washed, too, afore light, and prayers said beside. They're Methodies, terrible pious. I used to tell Dad they talked a heap about believing in God. I don't allow but what they do believe in God, too, but they don't worship Him so much as they worship work, not nigh so much. Believin' and worshipin's two things. You wouldn't see no such doin's in Tennessee. I allow the Lord meant some time for sleepin', and I'm satisfied with his times o' lightin' up. But these Merrills are real nice folks for all this I've been tellin' yer. Lord, I don't believe he's understood a word I've said now, thought Aunt Ree to herself, suddenly becoming aware of the hopeless bewilderment on Felipe's face. "'Tain't much use saying anything more in plain yes or no "'between folks that can't understand each other's language. "'And's fur as that goes, I allow there ain't any great use "'in the biggest part of what's said between folks that do's. "'When the Merrill family learned Felipe's purpose "'of going up the mountain to the Cahuila village, "'they attempted to dissuade him from taking his own horses. "'He would kill them both, high-spirited horses like those,' they said, "'if he took them over that road.' It was a cruel road. They pointed out to him the line where it wound, doubling and tacking on the sides of precipices, like a path for a goat or a chamois. Aunt Ree shuddered at the sight, but said nothing. "'I'm gwine where he goes,' she said grimly to herself. "'I ain't gwine to back down now, but I do just wish Jeff Hire was along.' Felipe himself disliked what he saw and heard of the grade, the road had been built for bringing down lumber, and for six miles it was at perilous angles. After this it wound along on ridges and in ravines, till it reached the heart of a great pine forest, where stood a sawmill. Passing this it plunged into still darker, denser woods, some fifteen miles further on, and then came out among vast opens, meadows, and grassy foothills, still on the majestic mountain's northern or eastern slopes. From these another steep road, little more than a trail, led south and up to the Cahuila village. A day and a half's hard journey at the shortest it was from Merrill's, and no one unfamiliar with the country could find the last part of the way without a guide. 
Finally it was arranged that one of the younger Merrills should go in this capacity, and should also take two of his strongest horses, accustomed to the road. By the help of these the terrible ascent was made without difficulty, though Baba at first snorted, plunged, and resented the humiliation of being harnessed with his head at another horse's tail. Except for their sad errand, both Felipe and Aunt Ri would have experienced a keen delight in this ascent. With each fresh lift on the precipitous terraces, the view off to the south and west broadened, until the whole San Jacinto Valley lay unrolled at their feet. The pines were grand. Standing, they seemed shapely columns. Fallen, the upper curve of their huge yellow disks came above a man's head, so massive was their size. On many of them the bark had been riddled, from root to top, as by myriads of bullet holes. In each hole had been cunningly stored away an acorn, the woodpecker's granaries. "'Look at that now!' exclaimed the observant Aunt Ri. "'And there's folks that says dumb critters ain't got brains.' They ain't no ways dumb to each other, I notice, and we are dumb ourselves when we are catched with furriners. I allow I'm next door to dumb myself with this here Mexican I'm a-travelin' with. That's so, replied Sam Merrill. When we first got here I thought I'd a gone clean out of my head trying to make these Mexicans sense my meanin'. My tongue was plaguy little use to me. But now I can talk their lingo first-rate. "'But Pa, he can't talk to him nohow. "'He ain't learned the first word, "'and he's been here going on two years longer than we have.' "'The miles seemed leagues to Felipe. "'Aunt Ree's drawling tones, "'as she chatted volubly with young Merrill, "'chafed him. "'How could she chatter? "'But when he thought this, "'it would chance that in a few moments more "'he would see her clandestinely wiping away tears.' and his heart would warm to her again. They slept at a miserable cabin in one of the clearings, and at early dawn pushed on, reaching the Cahuilla village before noon. As their carriage came in sight, a great running to and fro of people was to be seen. Such an event as the arrival of a comfortable carriage drawn by four horses had never before taken place in the village. The agitation into which the people had been thrown by the murder of Alessandro had by no means subsided. They were all on the alert, suspicious of each new occurrence. The news had only just reached the village that Farrar had been set at liberty and would not be punished for his crime, and the flames of indignation and desire for vengeance, which the aged Capitan had so much difficulty in allaying in the outset, were bursting forth again this morning. It was therefore a crowd of hostile and lowering faces which gathered around the carriage as it stopped in front of the Capitan's house. Aunt Ree's face was a ludicrous study of mingled terror, defiance, and contempt. "'Of all the low-down, no-count, beggarly trash ever I laid eyes on,' she said in a low tone to Merrill, "'I allow these year are the worst.' "'but I allow they'd flatten us all out in just about a minute if they was to set out to. "'If she ain't here, we are in a scrape, I allow.' "'Oh, they're friendly enough,' laughed Merrill. "'They're all stirred up now about the killin' of that engine. "'That's what makes em look so fierce. "'I don't wonder. "'Twas a derned mean thing Jim Farrar did, a-firin' into the man after he was dead. 
I don't blame him for killin' the cuss, not a bit. I'd a shot any man livin' that had taken a good horse of mine up that trail. That's the only law we stockmen have got out in this country. We've got to protect ourselves. But it was a mean, low-lived trick to blow the feller's face to pieces after he was dead. But Jim's a rough feller, and I expect he was so mad when he see his horse that he didn't know what he did. Aunt Ri was half paralyzed with astonishment at this speech. Felipe had leaped out of the carriage and, after a few words with the old capitan, had hurried with him into his house. Felipe had evidently forgotten that she was still in the carriage. His going into the house looked as if Ramona was there. Aunt Ri, in all her indignation and astonishment, was conscious of this train of thought running through her mind. But not even the near prospect of seeing Ramona could bridle her tongue now, or make her defer replying to the extraordinary statement she had just heard. The words seemed to choke her as she began. "'Young man,' she said, "'I don't know much about your raisin. I've heard your folks was great on religion. Now we ain't, Jeff and me. We weren't raised that way. But I allow if I was to hear my boy Joss, he's just about your age, and make, too, though he's narrower chested if I should hear him say what you've just said, I allow I should expect to see him struck by lightning, and I shouldn't think he had got more in his deserts. I allow I shouldn't. What more Aunt Ree would have said to the astounded Merrill was never known, for at that instant the old Capitan, returning to the door, beckoned to her and springing from her seat to the ground sternly rejecting sam's offered hand she hastily entered the house as she crossed the threshold felipe turned an anguished face toward her and said come speak to her he was on his knees by a wretched pallet on the floor was that ramona that prostrate form hair dishevelled eyes glittering cheeks scarlet hands playing meaninglessly like the hands of one crazed with a rosary of gold beads yes it was ramona and it was like this she had lain there now ten days and the people had exhausted all their simple skill for her in vain aunt re burst into tears oh lord she said if i had some old man here i'd bring her out of that fever I do believe I seed some on to growin' not more'n a mile back. And without a second look or another word she ran out of the door, and springing into the carriage said, speaking faster than she had been heard to speak for thirty years, You just turn round and drive me back a piece the way we come. I allow I'll get a weed that'll break that fever. Faster, faster, run your horses. Tain't above her mile back where I seed it, she cried leaning out eagerly scrutinizing each inch of the barren ground stop here tis she cried i knowed i smelt the bitter aunt somewheres along here and in a few minutes more she had a mass of the soft shining gray feathery leaves in her hands and was urging the horses fiercely on their way back this'll cure her if anything will she said as she entered the room again but her heart sank as she saw Ramona's eyes roving restlessly over Felipe's face, no sign of recognition in them. "'She's bad,' she said, her lips trembling. "'But never say die is allers our motto. "'Tain't never too late for anything but once, "'and you can't tell when that time's come till it's past and gone.' 
steaming bowls of the bitterly odorous infusion she held at ramona's nostrils with infinite patience she forced drop after drop of it between the unconscious lips she bathed the hands and head her own hands blistered by the heat it was a fight with death but love and life won before night ramona was asleep felipe and aunt ree sat by her strange but not uncongenial watchers each taking heart from the other's devotion all night long ramona slept as felipe watched her he remembered his own fever and how she had knelt by his bed and prayed there he glanced around the room in a niche in the mud was a cheap print of the madonna one candle just smouldering out before it the village people had drawn heavily on their poverty-stricken stores keeping candles burning for alessandro and ramona during the past ten days the rosary had slipped from Ramona's hold. Taking it cautiously in his hand, Felipe went to the Madonna's picture, and falling on his knees began to pray as simply as if he were alone. The Indians standing on the doorway also fell on their knees, and a low-whispered murmur was heard. For a moment Aunt Re looked at the kneeling figures with contempt. Oh, Lord, she thought, the poor heathen, prayin' to a picture. Then a sudden revulsion seized her. I allow I ain't going to be the only one out of the whole number that don't seem to have nothing to pray to her. I allow I'll join in prayer, too, but I shan't say mine to no picture. And Aunt Ree fell on her knees, and when a young Indian woman by her side slipped a rosary into her hand, Aunt Ree did not repulse it, but hid it in the folds of her gown till the prayers were done. It was a moment and a lesson Aunt Ree never forgot. End of chapter 25